Hey, thanks for joining us again for uh, Digging Deeper. And uh, I just continue to pray that these are uh, a blessing to you as a group and spur some conversation and connection. Um, I am not alone today. You can see that Andrew's here with me. And uh, just as a reminder, Andrew is interning with us through the month of June, just trying to get a picture of, of uh, his future uh, calling and desire to experience ministry um, as he finishes his uh, Bible college career and then hopefully goes into ministry in, in the capacity of um, kind of care and, and, and counseling and yeah. some other things. You know, the reality of it is that... that um, every need we have, whether it's a counseling need or mm. whatever it is, is, underneath it all is a spiritual need. And so, mm. so that's why God is so relevant to um, ministries that bring healing and, and wholeness. So um, gave Andrew the task of coming up with some questions. Uh, hopefully he thinks like the average person. We're hoping that your mind is right in the meaty part of the bell curve and that the questions you have might be questions that other people maybe had. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we'll let you kick it off with the uh, first question from our message yesterday, um, Crossroads, Good or Holy? So take it away, Andrew. All right, so for you kind of talked about a lot, Terry, about living our lives in a holy manner and not just a good <clears throat> manner that might be trying to ah, work on our actions and right, our character, right, but something right. about our disposition. Um, so on paper, and when we hear that, that, that's a really, that's something I think we all can desire for, is we want a heart that, that pours out of the person of Jesus and not just something we're just trying to perfect. But I had a question on like, how practically do we allow Jesus to make us holy and not just good? How do we actively allow him to change our disposition from an Adam disposition to a godly disposition? So I'm going to answer that with a story. Okay. The, one of my, the biggest struggles in my life every day is lunch. I like Same to here. eat. I like to eat. And then when I don't know what I want to eat, I like, I will get in my car and literally drive going, okay, I'm going to go here. Oh, no, no, I don't want that. I want to, okay. And I'll drive. And then there's a moment in there where I commit to what I want. Like something will hit me and be like, I know what it is. I'm going to go to Lonzo's and get a, a chicken and rice bowl. Boom. And once that, that desire hits me, I stay, I, mm. the clarity comes with the path. Mm. And so that's where holiness comes from. Mm. I think most of us don't find progress in holiness because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really desire it. Mm. We desire to be good. We want to be thought of as, we want people to be able to look at us and go, oh yeah, that's a good person. But um, to desire holiness means that I'm willing to choose that. And here's the problem with choices. Every yes involves an infinite number of no's. Mm -hmm. Every time I choose something, I don't choose everything else. Mm -hmm. and, and so you think of it like in, going in a restaurant or you, say you're going to a wedding reception and they have choices. Do you want fish or steak or chicken? Mm -hmm. If I say I want fish, I'm also saying no to steak and chicken. Well, that's what our life is, is are, are like. So if I say I want Jesus, I'm saying no to me. I don't want me to be the ruler of it all. So holiness is first and foremost a product of desire. We have unredeemed, unrefined wanters. I want things that serve only me. And until Christ comes in and redeems and refines my wanter, 
I can't choose only him. But here's the good news. Every little choice along the way that says I'm going to choose Jesus in this moment refines that wanter. Hmm. And so I may start out at a place, this is where Paul was talking about, right? My, my spirit and my flesh are at war with each other. They're at enmity with each other. My, my spirit is saying I want what Christ wants for me because I'm indwelt with him. The Holy Spirit's now dwelling in me. I've accepted him as Lord and Savior. So I want what he wants for me. But my flesh is saying I still want this. And so that's where the struggle is. So it comes down to our wanter, our desire being refined and redeemed and allowing us to choose that. So practically, simplest terms, in every moment that you can choose Christ over anything else, you do that. And every time you do that, you become capable of choosing him over more things. Gotcha. So it's desire is, yeah. is the practice. Okay. So the practice, it's, it's not necessarily, it's the works that do anything, but the works set up the openness for God to transform yeah, the heart. Yeah, okay. so the, the works become, you know, that, that idea of, you know, James, uh, show me your works, mm -hmm. and I'll, basically I'll show you your faith. So yeah. your faith is revealed by your works. Exactly. So my works reveal what I'm desiring. Mm -hmm. exactly. And as I do the works of desiring and choosing Christ in the small moments, you know, in, this, mm -hmm. in the little things, he begins to overtake more and more of my desire, of my wanter. Mm -hmm. And so I begin to choose him more. So, so this rolls with momentum. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. that like coming from somebody that, and probably some people also in the congregation that have grown up with maybe hearing a lot of the work-based things, that this isn't necessarily something that you do because, because you earned it, but you're, right. you're doing it to set yourself in an environment yeah. to be changed yeah. and be it's, formed. It's just a practice. Exactly, okay. You know, it's, it's like, it's like training. Okay. Um, you want to run a marathon, great. You don't go out and run a marathon. You train to become the kind of person who can run a marathon. Mm -hmm. You want to live for Christ. You can't just go out and live for Christ, but you can train to become the kind of person who will live for Christ. Mm -hmm. So what's that look like? Maybe it's something as simple as, I want to live for Christ, so I'm not going to put that show on my television. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch something else. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not going to say that word that that puts somebody in their place when they insult yeah. me. I'm just going to let it be what it is. Yeah. Or I'm not going to choose to um, ignore a need that I see and just serve myself. I'm going to see a need and, and reach out and meet it. Gotcha. So. Um. And what are some spiritual practices that we can do? Because I've known that you've mentioned some, and, and I've read some, that talk about doing these spiritual practices. We set ourselves in an environment for God to transform and to, to, and to talk to us, to speak to us, for our, our will to be aligned with His will. Yeah. Uh, what are some things that we can do, whether that's like silence and solitude, whether that's like reading our Bible more, like what type of things yeah. would you recommend? Uh, so I was at the beach. I'm going to go in. I'm uh, not trying to be rude to you guys. I'm trying to find some thoughts that I jotted down when I was sitting at the beach last Friday. Um, and I'm not going to read them all to you because they're, to many of you, they'd sound like the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, what struck me is I was thinking about silence and, and um, I, I kind of jotted this down that as I was thinking about being in silence with God and, and, what struck me was this. Silence is effective because it shuts down every external system, role, image, and predetermined identity that others have placed on me or that I have willingly 
walked into and accepted. And it leaves me to face only my own internal systems, roles, images, and predetermined identities. Here's what I mean by that. Silence, I think, is a starting point. Because when I say I'm going to sit in silence, and I'm, not, I'm talking about like not even the radio on. Mm -hmm. Because even when I have the radio on, other people's ideas and concepts are coming into me. But when I sit in silence, what happens is this. I sit in silence before God, and so all the things that I look at that I say I'm trying to be or I'm trying to build into me are the images I'm trying to create or the, the even the systems of the world that press in on me, they all kind of fall away. And what I'm left with is only those things that I've made. Hmm. Yeah. So the images of myself that I'm trying to create, yeah. the roles that I think I need to press into, the systems of how I want to govern my life that I put in place. So when I'm left with just those, when I sit in silence with God, then I can actually lay those before God mm. and let Him speak to those things. Mm -hmm. Let Him way. say, hey, yeah. this is where you got it wrong. You yeah. have this image of you. I don't have that image of you. The image I have of you is this, a beloved child not this image of a well-equipped pastor who can handle anything, um, or you know the system that, that, that we live into of how we're supposed to respond based on other people's expectations. Well, when I sit in silence before God, the only expectations that are left there are my own of me. And God can speak into those expectations and say, look, you know, I didn't call you to that. I just want you to be with me. Stop trying to create something in you that other people will look at and praise and admire. And so silence helps a lot with that. Um, that practice of silence, I think, is probably the beginning point. Mm -hmm. Because I think the other thing that happens in silence, at least for me, is all the verses and the truth of God that I know begin to flow through my head. Mm -hmm. And those things are speaking something to my identity, mm -hmm. telling me I can lay things down. And, and so I think if you don't do any other spiritual practice, sitting with a heart that desires God, okay, so back to the desire, I want it, I got to seek it, I got to want it, and um, then sit in silence with that, even mm -hmm. if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes a day. Yeah, yeah. That's a starting point. Yeah. Um, I know for me there was a point where if I didn't have at least an hour of silence with God to start my day, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. But what happens in that is begin to peel off all the stuff that's that's in me that's not of God. And I start to live more into that identity of I'm God's beloved in Christ. So if there's a practice to start with that moves us towards holiness, I think it's silence. Because in the silence, I begin to see who I am. Like kind of what we talked about yesterday. Yeah. I, here's my badness that I need to give to God. Yeah, yeah. But I also begin to see who He is, which shows me who He's making me into. Mm -hmm. So remember, Jesus teaches us he, he Jesus came to make us into what he teaches that we should be mm. the only place I begin to realize what he teaches that I should be is when I'm in silence before God ruminating over his truth over his scripture over his desire mm -hmm. so number one practice I would say is probably silence to, to press into that silence yeah, yeah. yeah. We can incorporate them in, in our everyday life too as well. Oh, absolutely. Like the, the, the silence is important, <clears throat> but for 
the, the mornings of, of the the waking up and thanking him for those mm -hmm. those mornings we can incorporate yeah. him in those in the small things and we don't necessarily need to make everything this one giant thing right yeah? so we can right. incorporate him in our everyday workspace as well yeah. well part of that is I mean you want to do an experiment next time you get in your car to dress and we're turn the radio off yeah, <laughs> yeah. and see what happens it's, it's you know it's, that where yeah. your mind and your heart go in the silence of your drive which isn't that still is not complete silence because mm -hmm. you still have thoughts that you have to tend to about is that guy going to turn he doesn't have his indicator on or are they going to stop at this light or do i need to make a left or a right here those things pull us out of silence but just adding taking one of those layers off of the radio opens up all kinds of stuff to hmm. us yeah so you got one more question? Um, yes, I do. Um, so one of the questions that I did have, uh, and as we read this and we uh, and the Sermon on the Mount as you go through it, and also listening to what you're kind of giving us a perspective of the idea that we should have this, this heart and disposition towards Jesus in a way that reflects him, we kind of see the law in a life out that's, the law is good, yeah. And then that, that's what Paul says too. Right. So why, I'm, I'm left with a question of like, why hasn't God just in the very beginning attacked the disposition of our hearts instead of giving us the law? Is that something, like how would that question like be answered? By well, chance? I would say that he did. Mm. He attacked the disposition of our hearts. Mm. So go all the way back to Adam and Eve sinning. Um, and, you know, they hid the disposition of their heart in that moment became shame, yeah. which is still our disposition. That's part of our inherited um, baggage from Adam. You know, we talked about Sunday that, that we have this heart of Adam in us, and part of that heart of Adam is shame. So he addressed the disposition with his question in the garden, where are you? Mm. So they shame hit them. When, when they realized that they had sinned and they opened their eyes were open, they said, oh my gosh, we're naked and we have to go hide. Mm -hmm. They went and hid. God immediately came to where they were and said, where are you? Now, what they didn't do, so that I would say that that question, where are you, yeah. is an invitation to address the disposition. Yeah. What they didn't say was, hey, so we kind of messed up and we need you to fix it. Yeah. What they said was, well, our, we're ashamed, so we hid. And so what they didn't do was say, hey, our disposition is now twisted and distorted. Mm -hmm. Can you fix it? What they did do was say, hey, our disposition became shame, and we've done some things to fix it. We sewed loincloths together. Mm -hmm. We ran off and hid. Mm -hmm. And so if they had said, I think, and that this, is, this is pure speculation, but I believe that if Adam and Eve had said, look, we messed it up. We can't fix it, will you? God may have fixed it in that moment. Hmm. He, he, he may have you know, brought them right back in. He was still in their presence. Yeah. Um, but he's on full pursuit. Right. Right, right. off the get-go. And so think about it, right? So Christ, who was slain from the foundations of the world, yeah. well, that knowing Adam and Eve aren't going to respond and say, hey, got to fix it, knowing that that disposition was going to be there, the process of salvation did begin, was addressed from the beginning. Right there, yeah. Christ was slain from yeah. the foundation of the world. Slain point. for what? To redeem us from our fallen Adam disposition mm -hmm. and give us his disposition, yeah. his heart. Yeah. So it was addressed at the beginning. And then you, you, know, you carry on from there, and he did address it over, like, like you know, with, with Abraham and Isaac. You yeah. know? <laughs> I, so, I didn't so, even think of that, yeah. So, so Abraham, you're... you're uh, 
your faith is counted towards you as righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's addressing his disposition. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he did with Joseph, you know, with, with David. So throughout, he's addressing the disposition of individuals who have faith, mm. but not necessarily addressing the disposition of all of mankind. Interesting, yeah. But the... Those were the models for, right, for, for that right, time. Yeah, yeah. Right, but the disposition was always going to be addressed because Christ was slain from for the sure. foundation of the world. Exactly. So hope that helps. Hope you guys... Um, enjoy the conversation a little bit and and more importantly i hope it leads you guys to some deep uh discussions about your own heart your own disposition what you're pointed towards how can you uh realign that towards christ but more importantly how do you step into that in community together so andrew thanks thank you i appreciate it, fun. it. thank you yeah and um I just want to pray for you before you go into your discussion time. And, and Pastor James, as always, has, has developed some great questions that you can look through and uh, have some time to kind of uncover and poke around in. But um, let all of this go to that place of what you want, your wanter, your yeah. desire, your will, which in the, the Greek and the Hebrew context was they called it the heart. So, so when, when we refer to the heart in Scripture, what we're actually talking about is the place where desire and will lives. Um, that's kind of the Greek and, and Hebrew philosophical model of, of humanity is the, the heart is where the will and desire kind of abides in us and dwells in us. So let me pray for you and then uh, send you off to your discussion time. Father, we're just so grateful that... Um, you know, as much as we want to be good people, you know that, that the ultimate goal is to make us holy, just as Christ is holy. And you also know that once we are made holy by you, that we will act in ways that are good. Mm. And so, God, we just invite your Spirit to do a work in all of us and make us holy. Make us holy just as Christ is. Make us uh, perfect just as you are, God, which is just another word for holy. And, and so, Lord, we invite you into having your way in us in that regard and, and drawing us to a deeper place of holiness that we can live out of that would glorify you, cause others to glorify you, but also bless them. And we just ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great discussion time.